This episode of Disney Film Project is brought to you by the letter A, the number three, and touringplans.com. Check out the new optimized touring plans. If you go on your phone and use the Lines application while you're in the parks, the touring plans will update automatically based on the latest data. It's the coolest thing ever. You've got to check it out. Check out the Lines application and the new optimized touring plans over at touringplans.com. They are the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project podcast. Again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project podcast. This is the program where we discuss the films of the Walt Disney Company and all their assorted affiliates, entities, um, and other folks involved. I'm Ryan Kilpatrick, host of the program and owner of DisneyFilmProject.com, where we host the show notes for this program and files, and you can go read blogs and all all kinds of fun stuff there if you like Disney films as much as we do. Uh, joining in the fun this evening are the, are the film buffs that you've, you've come to know and love. Uh, or if you haven't, well, why not, really, is the question. Uh, first of all, we have Mr. Todd Perlmutter, who is a blogger over at touringplans.com. He's the chief technical officer at, Dis- at disneydrivenlife.com, and he's uh, reporting in live from our Florida bureau. I can see the future. That's it. <laughs> But you're not going to tell us? Oh, well, I didn't want to spoil anything. Oh, that's right. You should put a spoiler alert whenever seeing the future. Yes. Yes, I do. Absolutely. Well understood. Uh, Miss Brianna Alessio is also here. You you know you love her already. If you didn't love Todd, you already love Brie. Uh, and that's because she is the attractions blogger over at DisneyDrivenLife.com. She she has her own little blogging action going on over there at Adventures of Brie at AdventuresofBrie.blogspot.com. And she's just freaking awesome. Hey, Brie, how's it going? That was a very nice introduction. Thank you. <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing okay. I'm a little bit under the weather today, but that's all right. How are you? I'm good. Aren't we all under the weather? Doesn't weather usually happen over our heads? I never understood that phrase. That's a very good point. Thank you. Yeah. Miss mm-hmm. uh, Cheryl Perlmutter is standing by and listening to all of this, kind of shaking her head, going, "Why? Why do you people talk? Because when you talk, then I have to edit things out, and it doesn't it doesn't work well. And you can read all about that. You can follow her on Twitter, Cheryl P3, or go to about.me/slash/cherylp3 and read all about Cheryl. Going, I don't understand these people. How are you this evening, Cheryl? I'm doing good. Are you, are you looking forward to, to discussing tonight's film? Yes, I am. Definitely. Good. So as as all of you, you, you hardcore listeners know, hi, Mom, um, we, from time to time, tend to have friends of ours, folks around the Disney community on the program to discuss films. And tonight we have a very special guest, Miss Shelley Karen. I mean, come on. Right there. <laughs> Woo! Orlando resident friend, neighbor, confidant of the Perlmutters, and uh, on the go at MCO.com. You can check out that blog. You want to know what's going on in Orlando? That's where you need to go. How's it going tonight, Shelly? Doing all right. Looking forward to talking about one of my favorite movies. And so one of Shelly's favorite movies would be Meet the Robinsons, the 2000 <laughs> computer animated uh, Walt Disney Pictures film. Um, the 47th animated feature in the Walt Disney animated feature stuff. I don't know what they call that. <laughs> but it's the 47th one of them. So, Shelley, tell us why this is one of your favorites. Uh, it just is one of those movies that you watch it and you feel really good about it. Like, the storyline is great and it just moves along really well. And then towards the end like for me it's when he slipped when she slips when uh lewis is walking up the steps and he slips on the step and you hear the sound that you heard at the beginning of the movie and when everything kind of zooms in you go oh my gosh and you get the whole movie and you start thinking back about it it's just a really complete story yeah it's a it's a great moment i mean we skipped right ahead to the end of the movie Awesome. Sorry. <laughs> we we call that book ending though, right? 
Yes, we do. Yeah. <laughs> see, see, it's a bookended film, and we're going to bookend the show, and that's how it's going to work. In fact, we've time traveled, so we've actually already done the show. <gasps> oh. oh, he went there. I'm going to go take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because you have it covered, because you're talking Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you guys just finish up, and uh, I'll see you tomorrow. Uh, all right, so Meet the Robinsons, directed by Steven Anderson. Uh, over, this was one of the first films that uh, won Mr. John Lasseter, after the whole Pixar merger fun and excitement happened, came in to uh, help oversee, so we can talk about that a little bit. Uh, it is based on the book A Day with Willi- Wilbur Robinson by William Joyce. Let me get that straight. Uh, and... It, it features um, a cast of characters, to say the least. There, uh, I was looking at one of the posters today. I think there's 47 characters on it. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Sounds 47, right. 47 movie. Maybe there's a coincidence. Could be. Oh, you never know. Maybe mm-hmm. I just pulled that number out of my subconscious, and I actually don't have any clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> so uh, the, the, the movie is about Lewis. The, a young orphan who, so Shelley mentioned at the very beginning of the film, he's dropped off at the orphanage. And uh, we, we hear some sort of sound that we don't know what it is, but it's all explained at the end of the movie. And it's a very touching sequence. Uh, but it, Lewis is dropped off at an orphanage, and the kind of the opening, I guess, it's not really a montage, but the opening sequence of the movie is about him and his troubles trying to get adopted uh, in this orphanage. Um, he, he doesn't. Spoiler alert. <laughs> he he has 124 adoption interviews. <laughs> yeah, he, he keeps track of them. I have a question. Wouldn't they have told that him that like or the adoptive parents like he has this peanut butter invention? Don't give him people that are allergic to peanut butter. He, he made it three <laughs> seconds before the interview. That's true. Is an option though. <laughs> I love so I always find I always find the EpiPen moment in movies to be very overdone <laughs> and I really think they were true. playing they were playing into that at this moment yeah <laughs> yeah so it's 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 an interesting uh, little bit because basically Lewis invents this peanut butter and jelly sandwich making machine that uh causes the person who is interviewing him for adoption to uh, basically swell up to the size of uh, a volcano of some sort, I think. <laughs> I, I like when he's making the peanut butter and jelly machine, okay, that it he, he has this quote that he says, nothing says adopt me like a weird invention. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's not true, is what we learn here. No. That, that's, that's not the case, no. <laughs> Uh, but what, so, what do we think of Lewis as, as our as our main character when we first get introduced to him here? Just a sweetheart, absolutely adorable. He makes you wonder why he hasn't been adopted yet, despite his crazy inventions. I like it when Goob is sitting there trying to talk to him, and he has to blow the air horn, and then and he's just so self involved and totally in his own world. It makes you even wonder, like if he's really wanting to be adopted as much as he says he is. And then you find out that he really isn't. Right. And, and the air horn, when he, when he blows it in his own ear, I just started cracking up. I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I love Angela Bassett's portrayal in this. Um, I think oh. I think she I think she hit the nail on the head with, with the character that's in charge of the orphanage, you know. And I loved how she, like, nudged them enough, but wasn't overbearing about it. Yeah, I agree. It was a great performance. Yeah, I liked, I liked Angela Bassett in this. I thought she was good. My favorite moment with her is when she and Goob are in the hallway, and Goob is finished with his uh, juice box, and he, he goes, he motions her down and says, you know, come here, and switches his juice box for his for her cup of coffee, and was like, "This is a good cup of Joe," and just keeps walking. Yes. <laughs> just kind of I think, punches I think, and gives them what they need to succeed. Yes, I think that's the first hint, though, that that Goob might be somewhat nefarious. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, well, there's there's, I I have every time there's so this movie has a ton of foreshadowing. 
until they yes, get to the future. I mean, like a crazy amount. Most of it does involve Goob. Like, for example, when he's having the very first conversation with the airhorn, like you were saying, right? There's this moment where he's talking about the baseball. If you listen very carefully, he's saying, I really like baseball. I didn't really care about winning or losing, but now I care about losing. I don't want to lose. I only want to win. Or yes. some, something along those lines, right? So it, it's it's that's a very important motivation for the character, what happens later on, right? And then um, he – because – obviously because he, Lewis keeps keeping him aw- – up all night making noise building stuff that's why he's not sleeping and that's why he's tired and ends up falling asleep at the baseball game later on yeah <laughs> true dad yeah you're right though that's there <clears throat> there is a lot of foreshadowing of young goob which that makes me feel weird to say but anyway um <laughs> After after not being um, adopted, Lewis decides that he's going to make a memory scanner to find out who his real mom is. And we know he has one from the beginning of the movie where he was dropped off. So he, right. he works all night doing that. Um, when he goes to the science fair, after keeping Goob up all night uh, working on this thing, he is confronted by Wilbur Robinson, who is uh, a claims that he's a time cop. Who is sent back to to protect the future? Yes, uh, and he needs to help Lewis uh, protect himself against a Bowler Hat Man. Mm-hmm. Which that 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 description right there should let you know kind of the tone of this movie. It's silly. Yes, and if you don't figure it out at this point, I agree you're missing it. Yes. <laughs> um, if yeah, if you're trying to take it ser- if you're trying to take the Time Cop and the Bowler Hat Man seriously then you just aren't going to get the movie. Mm-mm. No, no. no. <laughs> just hit, hit pause and return it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he tries... So what hap- ends up happening is the, the bowler hat itself actually shows up and dismantles the memory scanner because it turns out the bowler hat is some sort of robotic device. And when Lewis turns it on, it blows up, yes. much like his other inventions have. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really does. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is upsetting. You never want to see your memory scanner blow up. It, well, it doesn't just blow up; it blows up, which causes a light to blow up, which causes the Mount Vesuvius to erupt, which then causes the sprinklers to all go off, and the science fair is completely ruined. Says you. Seems like a fun <laughs> time to me. <laughs> I, there, there's there's uh, there's actually funny moments going on here. Well, first of all, right. Do you notice it's always the same corporation in the movie, right? The science fair is hosted by Inventco. Lucille works for Inventco, and Inventco is the company that, um, in the future, Cornelius Robinson ends up taking over. And it's also the corporation that uh, Bowler Hat Guy is trying to bring the memory scanner to. Ah, uh, yes. All of that. So it's always the one company, which is interesting. Um, so you know, well, we all know there's only one company in the world. There is only one company. It's true. There's also this one city, and everybody lives in it. Um, exactly. <laughs> I my my favorite moment, though, beyond everything that we've mentioned about the science fair, is the moment where Wilbur knocks the frogs over, and he's picking them up. She she's making him pick them up, and it's his mother, right? <laughs> yes. And they have this conversation where he goes, where he goes, annoying little girl, I don't have time for this. I'm on a very important mission. And she goes, don't sass me, boy. I know karate. <laughs> <laughs> and, and can I just say how fantastic she is, the teacher that ends up, you know, being his mother? When she's say, it's screaming about caffeine patches, she goes, there's no side effects. And she screams. <laughs> I've had that moment before. <laughs> This doesn't surprise me. No, on the fourth cup of coffee, that's you, you, you'll see it. It happens. Yeah. I don't often get to four, but when I do, <laughs> look out! Hey, you should just take for me. <laughs> there we go. Uh, but yeah, so all all of this happens, and and Lewis goes back to the orphanage while the bowler hat guy steals the scanner uh, with the help of his his robotic robotic bowler hat, which he calls Doris. Yes. The DOR-15. Yes. He calls it um, Doris. It is. I just wanted to say that again. 
Yeah. But that's why he, Shelley's point is that's why he calls it Doris. I'm aware. Okay. I just like think five makes it sound all like official like. Yeah, it does. Doris is a is a great hardly used name anymore. Yes. I um, disagree. I I have a, a a my wife rather has an aunt named Doris. There I said you go. I said hardly used. Okay, fine. Yeah, the aunt is an exception. <laughs> right, yeah. there's always an exception to the rule. Right. Thank you, Brianna. <laughs> I also like how when they're on the roof, when Wilbur and Lewis are on the roof talking about the the now defunct memory scanner how all of the billboards in the background are all about remember and it's about pills you can take to remember and about soap opera you know like soap opera kind of looking things about how people don't remember things it's kind of reinforcing like how important like remembering things is and that's what gave him the idea too and originally mm-hmm. as well for the memory scanner also more importantly is the brain scanners from sign from Mars sign, which has a picture of basically Doris on it, attacking people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that should be a clue. Yeah. Yeah. Foreshadowing. <laughs> I, think. I, I gotta say, Doris is a little evil. Uh, More yeah. than a little. Yes. Yeah. Goodness. Well, that was that was part of... So I said, you know, John Lasseter, this was one of the first films where he jumped in after the... Uh, uh, kind of becoming the chief creative officer for the studios and animation. And um, that was one of the things he said was that the, the bowler hat guy wasn't evil enough. He wasn't enough of a villain. And so they, they kind of amped up the evil. And I think they obviously put more of that on Doris than than on the bowler hat guy. Right. otherwise, it's, you know. It's really funny to me because whenever the bowler hat guy, and even the way he's animated, I think of like the old villains in the silent movies with the cape and they like creep and they walk and stuff. Yes. And it's really funny that it's a really interesting juxtaposition between his type of evil, which is like an old timey evil and the old time and the evil that Doris is, is more like conniving and very thought out and planned. And it's very interesting how it points out the evil that was older was very naive and very like on the surface while the new evil it's more like the new evil. It's like the new black. Um, like new coat. This season, the new evil. No, it, how it's um, more conniving. It, it's it's more hurtful instead of, like, just being silly, like we were talking about before. I, yeah. I think I think it's why she's able to manipulate him, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because he has, the, he has this penchant for the lists, right? Which, you know, Shelly and I have joked about this before. <laughs> and, I love checklists. <laughs> and, and, and Doris realizes this in place to it, right? Because she's constantly referring him back to his checklist, even though it's really her plan. He's, she makes him think it's his plan. Definitely. Yes. Yep. You, you know what Doris reminded me of? Not to skip ahead. Okay. But, but Doris, speaking of Doris's brand of evil... And Doris's alternate future that we'll get to. It reminded me of Blade Runner, Todd. Oh, here we go. <laughs> it did. It's it's very interesting. Yeah, that that. Well, actually, I think she's more evil than the than the replicants. If that's where you're going. Yes, that's where I was going. Okay, she's more evil than replicants, though, right? Because replicants are just misunderstood. Oh no. Is he going to start a replicants' rights society? <laughs> he is. I think he is. It's, yeah. it's, it's actually, Blade Runner is very sad. None of the replicants are really killers. They just want to live, right? That's they, true. It's kind of like the programs in Tron. And that's that's kind of like Doris, I guess you're right. She just wants to dominate everything. Yeah. Same thing, really. Her seems more conniving, though. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, she's just conniving. <laughs> she's a hat. <laughs> That's a, she's an evil hat. Evil hat. <laughs> Evilest hat that has ever lived. That's right. Oh, <laughs> uh, but we're we are off track as we always are. Uh, but Lewis goes back to the to the orphanage at that point, 
and uh, Wilbur goes back to meet him, and and Lewis is is asked by Wilbur to repair the memory scanner, for which for whatever reason he can't fathom until Wilbur finally says, "Look, you have to do this because I am from the future," and he shows him the time machine that that that, that he has built and takes him to the future in the time machine. Uh, unfortunately, they crash the time machine, and uh, Lewis is stuck in the future. Uh, and for for a reason that we are not privy to, he hides Lew- uh, Wilbur hides Lewis in the garage and begs him to fix the time machine. Uh, and this is he doesn't ahead, just beg him though; he says, "You broke it, you fix it." Yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, and this is the moment through uh, through the next middle section of the movie uh, where we meet all of the Robinson clan, and I will not even try to name all of the Robinson clan. I wrote it all down. Oh, I, and and I was just about to say because I know Todd has them all. <laughs> the wonky sluice knows everything. All right, here we go. Bud and Fritz and Joe are brothers. Fritz is married to Petunia, and Liz, she's cranky. Tallulah and Laszlo are their children. Joe is married to Billy. Lefty is the builder. Spike and Demetra are the twins, and no one knows who they're related to. Lucille is married to Bud. Wilbur's dad is Cornelius, okay, and he's their son. What does Cornelius look like? He looks like Tom Selleck like and Tom married to married to Franny. Her brothers are Gaston, who's the human bullet, and Art, the pizza guy. Okay, Wilbur, and like I said, Wilbur is the son of Franny and Cornelius, and no one realizes that. Lewis is from the past until he takes his hat off. There we go. There you go, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Todd Perlmutter. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen. Nicely done. So, so this is, this, I'm going to, y'all are going to be mad at me now. Uh, This was the problem I had with the movie is like these, these characters are all really cool and funny, but I just don't feel like they serve the story very well. So this is where it bogs down for me. No, yeah, the thing is that I kind of want a little bit more explore, exploration of these characters because it's just like the island misfit of toys, the, mis- the island of misfit toys kind of thing. Totally. They're all kind of interesting in their own way. And you, to me, the thing was the characters were like shown for like in their own little ways, but it kind of for me solidified the acceptance. It kind of set the tone for the definition of family that it's not so much who they are and what they do it's just that you accept them for who they are yeah I agree yeah and I just I just felt like you know like each of the I'm like you like each of these characters is interesting but there's just so many of them that you just don't get the full effect like me personally I want more Adam West as Uncle Art yes (laughs) Because who doesn't want more Adam West? Right? Exactly. <laughs> Everyone needs more Batman! <laughs> My Adam West impression. That was nice. That was nice. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, I also found myself wanting more Carl the Robot. It's also the next 10 to 15 minutes of the movie are super, super hard to follow. Yes. Okay, I mean they go so fast. I mean, I, yeah. I, you know, and so I type out notes. Okay, and I want to point out everybody that I type 100 to 120 words a minute, and I can't keep up with everything that goes on when this is happening. I have to keep pausing to catch up with the movie. Yeah, I feel like. Sorry, part of me also <laughs> wonders if that's a little bit by design. Because they don't want you catching on too, too much as to what's going on because there is so much that you catch. There's so many aha moments in this movie that I don't necessarily think it's the first telling of the story that you're supposed to fully understand and fully kind of go through. It's that when that second moment hits, it hits twice as hard because you only caught it halfway the first time. Right. I think you're supposed to, I think you're supposed to have that moment, like you said in the beginning, earlier in the podcast, where if when as soon as you hit that point, you realize what was actually going on. It's it's a much different movie than up until that point. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I feel like there's almost like two competing movies going on at this point in the movie in, in this one. Right? There's the cool quirky family part, which is really funny, 
but then there's the actual story of this whole movie about Lewis and acceptance and all that kind of stuff going on. And the Lewis and his acceptance part kind of gets pushed to the background so that we can throw all these crazy characters in there. Yeah. For a little while. Um, although it fits and they should do it. Like, I felt like they could have, I, I think they shortened it intentionally to, to, because it's not relevant to the main story, but it would like, if they had put another 10 minutes in this sequence, I think it would have like, let it breathe a little more. I don't know. Right. Well, you know, back to the back to the point that Shelley was trying to make too is that there's so much of this movie was redone until like the last possible minute, right? Yeah. It was. It's not the same movie it originally was. So you kind of start to question how much came from the original movie because I I'm under the impression that there was actually probably was more Carl and more invent. You know, because there's, there's talk about more inventions and stuff like that. Something about gravity shoes. And flying around, and that didn't that doesn't happen in the movie, okay? Yeah. And I I suspect more went on in the future or between the future and the past that we that wasn't there when we by the time we see the movie. So the characters that all these characters may have had larger roles, but because they were good characters, they left them in. Could be, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would make sense because it, yeah. yeah, it just does kind of feel like really compact, like you said. Um, but the the next thing that we that, that kind of comes upon is that is the unsuccessful attempts of the bowler hat guy and Doris to try and kidnap Lewis uh, going all the way to using a frog and a dinosaur um, and the, the poor bowler hat guy not being able to to successfully think through a plan as his minions keep telling him <laughs> <laughs> I love when he goes, okay, frog, not a good minion, and he looks up at the topiaries, and there's a Tyrannosaurus Rex topiary, and his brain goes, go back in time and get a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Well, because that's the obvious answer. Yes, obviously. In that situation. (laughs) And it's obvious that that once the T-Rex wears a bowler hat, he becomes evil instantly. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. That's what Doris does. Yes, because she, as we have established, is evil. An evil hat, yeah. Can I just have a pause moment? Because now, I've mentioned on my blog that I love topiaries, and so the whole topiary thing outside the Robinson home is so exciting to me because there's things like teapots pouring tea and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and all these really just nifty things all over the place. So it's like, it's it's great pausing moments. Like, if if you're one of those people who likes to pause and study a scene. Yes. You know, it's it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, they're amazing topiaries. I agree. But the, the, they go through this whole thing, and and Adam West comes in and saves the day. That's the, at least the way I say I see it, um, <laughs> as, as Uncle Art. And he, we we get the the moment where Wilbur finally has to admit to everybody uh, that Lewis is from the past, and he yes. kind of knocks. He's been hiding him under a hat. First of a Chiquita banana hat and then a, a uh, baseball cap, and he's finally knocks the hat off, and they see his hair, and we don't know why at this point, but everyone reacts and, and says, "Oh well." Whereas previously they'd been ready to adopt him, they say, "You know, you have to go, you have to go back," uh, but we don't know why. And Lewis, being disgusted, runs off, and the bowler hat guy finally finds a decent plan <laughs> and offers to take him back to the past. Uh, in exchange for seeing his mother, a plan which he has no interest in fulfilling, but it gets Lewis into the time machine. Uh, and then we get the flashback of finding out that the bowler hat guy is, in fact, old goop, not young goop. <laughs> it, it, it's one of my favorite exchanges in the movie, too, by the way. Because... <laughs> Cause, just because, like Chelly was saying, he's, he's, the, he's that old-style evil... And he's a little bit of a nincompoop, or a lot of it. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so he, cause he's like, he's like, how many villains do you know that can pull off a name like Goob? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> and then, you know, so, and there's that thing that he does where he goes, you know, he goes, hmm, let me see, take responsibility of my own life or blame you. Ding, 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 blame you wins hands down. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I just, I just love that little exchange. It's like so perfect. It like sums up 
the villainous villainy of the character, right? Yeah. I know. I know you're not supposed to like him, but I love Goob. <laughs> <laughs> I think you are I by do. the end. By the end. Yeah, by the end you are. It's just really funny to me. It's just he's such an interesting character, and it's just, it's it's very interesting to see his development from like this kid who just kind of like bobs along, sings a song, wants to win, doesn't want to lose, and you know you find out why he gets more and more bitter through the years. But it's really funny how it just he's really ready to turn either really good or really evil at the turn of a you know flip of a coin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what did we think of, of Goob's origin story in the movie? Which is the <laughs> next sequence. It's like a... It's it's long. That that I'll, uh, Spoilers, that's what I thought. It, it's long. It is. That's, that's the point for me where I can see the struggle that the writers must have had, the before and after writers... Because yeah. it feels like what I want to see is more of the family stuff, and what they wanted to see was more of, like, the evil villain, the fight, the 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 action, and I really wanted to see more characters and more development of their story. So there's the earlier scene, right, where he, where he meets himself, right? BH, BHG yeah. meets Goob, right? And... Goob is like, well, maybe I should just let it go. And he goes, no, you should let it fester and grow until it eats away at you and this whole thing, right? And it's, it, it then, this is kind of like just play, picks up right where that left off, right? That's, that's an important thing. And they may have been contiguous moments in the actual, mo- in the original version of the movie. You can't tell for sure. But what I like is that um, it's, it's not just showing him because if you listen, it's constantly it's it's focused on him, but constantly in the background you're hearing about the successes of Cornelius, right? Who's Lewis, right? Okay, but they're already in the, in the um, in the radio and everything. They're already refer- referring to him as Cornelius, so you don't even necessarily realize the name change thing at this point. So yeah, I think I think the whole point of this is to try and make you feel you know understand Goob better and and come to like him like you were saying, Shelly. I just like for me it like it takes. I felt like it was ten minutes long, and I don't know if it actually was, but it it, it just felt like really long. I'm like, okay, I get it. He's upset about the baseball thing, and let's move on with life. <clears throat> yeah. You yeah. Absolutely. Most, you find out the most important thing though he, that he loves checklists. <laughs> <laughs> And, and not only has he not showered in 30 years, he has the same, yes, <laughs> he has the same binder, right, that he had when yeah. he was a kid in the flashback? Yeah. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> but we also find out through this that Doris is really the evil one because we see her, her evil plan coming to fruition in, uh, when, when they are returning to the future or when, when uh, Lewis gets to return to the future. And and he finds the the family taken over in, in little Doris hats and and what has gone wrong, uh, based on the on the, what happens in the memory scanner. We see kind of how Doris affected the past and and all that kind of stuff. Uh, basically, by getting uh, by getting the bowler hat guy to sell the memory scanner, uh, he then convinces them to replicate Doris and Doris clones take over the world. Again, I'm saying Blade Runner here. <laughs> In terms of luck, definitely the the whole the future yeah. that oh, I shouldn't say future. It's an alternate future, right? There you go. Yes. It's super creepy. Yeah, it is a little bit. It is, especially when they're all banging on his time machine. That's creepy. Yeah, and the way that they all look very glazed over and are very machine-like and have no feelings. Very separate you you hear their voices and you see their silhouettes, but you never see their faces in this future, other than their noses sticking out from under the hats. Right? right. It's it's kind of sort of it's intentional because they become faceless. That was Doris's goal. So, okay. but it did confuse me that they were all together in the future and looked relatively the same. Yeah, I, I mean true. you know. They went through such trouble, like like the noise in the beginning. They went through trouble to make sure that that, w- that was there at the beginning and the end of the movie, and yet they have that weird timing consistency there. 
it, it didn't need to be the same family beating on his time machine. It, it wouldn't have made any difference. It didn't provide anything. It was kind of yeah, weird. Yeah, I agree. It felt yeah. like a nightmare. It felt like what you would kind of see in a nightmare. Because, to me, while it wasn't, it didn't really matter, but for him, it was being rejected again by the family, by another person that he cared for, more people he cared for, and I think the point was to make him fight, you know, ten times harder, because he didn't want this family, he wanted his family. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, here's an interesting thing. I know this is probably going to get way too technical in a animated movie, but right after he f- he flips the switch, and then Wilbur disappears, and then he goes into the garage, and the garage kind of transforms into the alternate future as he's walking into it. Okay? And the memory scanner is still there, right? Was was the hat that was hooked up to the memory scanner the original Doris? The reason why I ask, right, is because she was an AI, and it had to be playing back a memory from something. Hmm. Interesting. Right? That that hmm. that scene that he, they see where it's and it's from. If you think about that scene, right? It's it's bowler hat guy on the street and, he's, and everybody's being shot at and everybody's running away like in any monster movie. But it's it's done from a perspective that it might have been Doris flying after bowler hat guy. Hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Didn't think yeah. about that. Yeah. Interesting. I like it. I like when Todd explains the things in the movie that we don't know. <laughs> I like that. It helps. I've thought a little bit too much about some things sometimes. I'm leaving that alone. Uh, (laughs) But uh, Lewis actually fixes the problem, of course, of the dystopian future by going back in time and telling Doris that he will never invent her, which she then shrivels up and goes away, which I thought was very cool. Yes. But can, can I talk about the moment right before that? No. Yes. Okay. You know what I'm going to say? No. Okay. Uh, so he, they have a an homage to the black hole right before this. Do they now? Yes, because if you remember the black hole, remember Maximilian, how he kills people? He, mm-hmm. pops, the, yes. he pops the big whirly blades out of the front of his arms? Yeah. What is what is Doris doing? Attacking, he's attacking Lewis with big whirly blades. Right. That's an homage. Interesting. Moment. Right I'm pretty sure that big whirly blades has to be my new catchphrase. <laughs> You're tweeting it right now, aren't you? I'm not going to show. She might be. <laughs> I'm tweeting it with my mind. There you go. <laughs> Can I get that interface? Sorry. <laughs> mind tweeting. It's the next big thing. Uh, Mental tweesion. Mental tweesion. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, on that note, uh, so here, like when I was watching this this time, and I have only seen I think one more time since I saw it in the theater. When I was watching it this time, I felt like, oh, that's the climax of the movie when he goes back and confronts Doris. But there's still like half an hour left. It, it's yeah. not half an hour. It's like 15 minutes, but okay, not half an hour. Let's call it 20, and we'll agree to disagree. But uh, there's a good, huge chunk of time left, and that's the climax right there. Yeah. Which I felt like... And, and it's not like the rest of the movie is bad. Actually, I feel like everything that comes after this point is really good. Mm-hmm. It's just weird structure-wise, you know what I'm saying? Well, not really. Shakespeare, third act, always happens in the middle, right? Okay, go further with that explanation. Okay, so Shakespeare, the climax is always in the middle of the play. And then it's all about resolution after that point. Hmm. Not always. Yeah. Romeo people, and Juliet? People live, people die. That's resolution. Uh, okay, that's every Shakespeare play. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but that's that's the thing. when you If you've ever taken a Shakespeare play, they always teach you the climaxes are always in the middle of the play, and then the play finishes out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll let you have that one, Todd. All right. Still say, it. <laughs> Still say it's weird for a movie. Perhaps. I feel like there's more. I feel like while it is the middle of something, I feel like there's the 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 front half is so much longer than the back half. 
And I kind of wish that the climax was more in the middle. Like, like we were saying, I wish there was more exploration of characters, but at the same time that would push the climax back. Like, everything just feels like it just goes bam, 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 bam. Like, okay, here are the things that we need to clear up right away. We need to clear up this, 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 this. we got 15 minutes and go. Yeah, I agree. I feel like like the original movie, like Todd was saying, is, like, basically everything that happens after he sprays the guy with the peanut butter and jelly gun until this point, and that everything before that point and after this point is, like, what they added secondarily. I'm not even convinced there was necessarily a time machine in the original version. I could see that. All right. I mean, it, it, it is interesting, but but let's face it though. You, you're, so you're saying this is the climax, and that's true. But climax doesn't, like I said, doesn't necessarily mean resolution, right? Because there's at this point, even though he's gotten rid of Doris, his life still has to go the right direction to get the future that he saw. Right. And, and that's. That's what happens after this point. Yeah, that's true. I mean, because technically speaking, you say the resolution was when he the climax and resolution the, the the climax point was when he destroyed Doris, but you could actually argue that it's the point where he has the the mental realization as to what the quote actually means when he's talking to Goob to keep moving forward, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting because in a way he gives himself the quote, but really the quote originally comes from what Mildred said to him, right? She doesn't specifically use Walt Disney's words, right? But she says something very, very similar to it where you have to let go of the past and look to the future. Yes. Right? Is that what she says? Did I actually remember that correctly? (laughs) I think that's right. I think that's right. And that's where the keep moving forward idea comes from. From the purposes of the movie, I mean, lots of people are screaming, it's a Walt Disney quote, it's a Walt Disney quote. Yes, we know that. Thank you. <laughs> but um, it, And that's why, but he doesn't understand it until that moment with Goob, and that's actually a more of a climax moment than even destroying Doris is, because Doris is just a bad guy. Yeah, I think I think there's two different stories. I think there's, the, the like we were saying, I think there's the main like sci-fi conflict story of Doris, and then there's the emotional story. But the problem is, I don't. For me, it didn't feel like they made it. They did a good job distinguishing between the two or marrying the two. Like yeah, they, I think they really are separate. The marrying is where the that marrying is what I really want to see. Like I want to see where the two stories really kind of coexist on the same plane. And they really, while they do, they really don't because there's just not enough. And I don't, I'm not emotionally invested enough in the action part of it and the Doris fighting as I am in, of course, the emotional family side of it. And I feel like it's a really, at least for me, a very strong disconnect between the two. It's like, all right, let's just, all right, I know this needs to happen. Let's just finish it up and move on. Yeah, it lacks a lot of cohesion. I think they could have brought it together a bit better. Yeah. I agree. And I think I think it, it, it seems like it was just a time thing, right? Because it seems like they were on the right track. Because the next thing is that moment Shelley mentioned right at the beginning of the show about um, Wilbur taking Lewis back to the orphanage after all this is resolved to uh, – well, I take that back. He finally meets Cornelius first, who is himself, and we finally get that revealed that – um, he is he is the father of this family um, and is introduced to the workshop. But they – and not to gloss over that, but the next big moment, big emotional moment after that is is that moment Shelley mentioned where he goes back and is he sees his mother dropping him at the orphanage and, and almost reaches out to touch her and finally just backs away and slips, and, and that explains what happened at the beginning of the movie. That's why I feel like that – I feel like those two pieces were, were added on separately – just from reading reading a couple of interviews with John Lasseter talking about the movie and those sorts of and that sort of thing, I, he he definitely refers to the emotional ending of the movie. So I feel like that had to have been added on after you know the other stuff was done. When he almost reaches out and you hear the slip, and then in your mind you go, "Whoa!" Yeah, that was that weird sound, and then you hear the knocking on the door, and you realize it wasn't his mom knocking; it was him knocking. Mm. That was yep. the part of the movie I started crying. I know, I started crying like a little baby. Yeah. 
to me when he knocks on the door, that's one of the most powerful moments in the movie because it's him saying, this is my life and I know what I need to do. So I'm going to do it. Yeah. 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 It's also him saying to himself that, you know, you may never meet your mother. He's, I mean, he's pretty honest right there. He goes, you may never meet your mother, but this is the future that's going to be here for you if you keep, you know, because he goes, is this going to be my future? He goes, if you keep, you know, on the track you are and stuff like that, and you may also never meet your mother. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting way of, I like the, I like the discussion between himself as well. Yeah, plus, mm-hmm. plus even though he's sad to leave, I kind of like the comment that, that Wilbur makes to him. It's like, you're, it's not like you're never going to see them again. They're your family. Yeah. <laughs> and I love when the, the two that adopt him, when they bring him to the new house that they just bought and they bring him upstairs and he looks around and then he turns to them and runs into their arms, then I start bawling all over again. <laughs> It's just such a powerful moment. It makes you feel so good inside. I wish my bedroom could be the top of an observatory. I know, right? No lie. <laughs> Quite I, the view, huh? Yeah. <laughs> did, did you catch, so at, when they buy the house, right, it's literally just the one observatory building, but that the house in the Robinson home in the future is the same place, just expanded? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I did right? catch that. <laughs> and if you and at the very end when they take off to fly away from it, it's a big R. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think that's cool. I want a big P and I want an observatory and I want it now. <laughs> well, get to work inventing that time machine. Oh wait, we already did that. We're trying. <laughs> get those Powerball numbers, Todd. You need the Powerball numbers. I, for the I Emily like, Wing. Well, that's what the time machine is for. You go, you get them, and then you can invent the time machine. It's like all paradoxical stuff. That's right. Hey, so, uh, one interesting thing is he gets to meet his future self and his past self. Ooh, interesting. Right? Yeah. He, he sees his baby self, and he says hi to his baby self, basically. Hello, baby self. Hello, yeah. baby self. I'm <laughs> and I do have to say that we do have a Star Wars connection. We do. Yeah, Mr. Willistine was voiced by Tom Kenny. Ah, that's the teacher, right? Yep. Okay. But the last little see, the last little bit right after that really emotional bit is is when uh, Wilbur goes back he, he and basically fixes all the wrongs and or uh, Wilbur drops Lewis off rather and Lewis fixes all the wrongs that happened earlier in the film. So he goes and he wakes up Goob just in time for him to make the the catch at the game. And then he goes back to the science fair and fixes the memory scanner and, and everything goes great from there. And that's where you get the realization that the people who were at the science fair were basically the people that he met in the future. So the girl with the frogs was his future wife and uh, the, the crazy caffeine lady, as, as Bree mentioned, was his mother and is adopted by uh, her and his, or her husband, Bud, uh, who then named them, named him Cornelius and, and, Makes it uh, makes it all kind of come full circle at that point. He actually names himself Cornelius, though, right? Yes. Yeah, he does. You're right. Yep. Paradox to Sam. <laughs> yeah, true. The Motion Waltz by Rufus Wainwright was awesome. The two songs that he does, that and um, Another Believer at the beginning of the movie, are absolutely just amazing. They set the tone. It's that whole, in my mind, it sets the whole 50s nostalgia, which is kind of the future that they go for here, and still kind of hints at the future. Um, Although I have to say, one of my favorite songs that's on the soundtrack that is not in the movie is uh, the cover of uh, There's a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow by They Might Be Giants. Yes. I didn't hear that one. It is a great cover. It's it's very true to the original, but it's a little bit, you know, they might be giants, like, you know, hinted in there. I can look over the Jonas Brothers song, but, um, like, Jamie Callum does a good job on, like, the 50s-style songs, and uh, it's just a really great soundtrack um, as far as, like, song songs go. Then Danny Elfman, the, the music throughout the scenes, just the musical scores are 
still that that fifties nostalgia future kind of thing going on. Yeah, and you know I'm always the type of person who usually fast forwards through the credits to see if there's anything that comes after, and I actually rewound the credits to listen to the songs all over again because <laughs> they're just so pretty. Yeah, well, I like that um, they they have that they might be giants uh, version of Great Big Beautiful tomorrow because they um it, so they might be giants always does Disney covers. Yep. You know, it's, what, it's one of their things, and they're just really fabulous at it. Anything they touch, it's just awesome. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Yeah, I think I thought that the the score and the soundtrack all played played really well in this movie. The other thing I liked, and I think uh, we we had talked about it previously, kind of off air, was all the great little in jokes that are kind of placed throughout the movie. Um, little fun, you know, nods towards other other Disney stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Like the Today Land instead of oh, Tomorrowland <laughs> when they go into the future. Yes. Well, it's not just that. They show the old rocket jets, too. Yes. With Space and Mountain Space background. Mountain. With Space yes. Mountain in background. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If yeah. only there was my geodesic sphere, I would be excited. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> There's, um... I, I love, um... So... Ryan, I'm sure Ryan's favorite character must be the Adam West art, the pizza guy, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I love when he goes, ding dong, pizza's here, because that's, yeah. it, it's a line lifted from the 60s Batman show, not with pizza, but, you know, like, like it was, it was one of his moments where he's like, you know, you know, ding dong, justice is here or something like that. Yes. Oh, completely, yes. It was so a Batman line. So it was awesome. And I love, one of my favorite lines in the entire movie is, Little Doris sleeps with the fishies. Yes. <laughs> the gangster frogs? Yes. While, while serving no purpose whatsoever in the movie, are laugh out loud funny. Yeah, and... Am I right? Did I hear correctly that the bartender called the lead frog there Rick? Did he call him Rick? It sounded like it. I don't, I don't remember. But, okay. but they, they, are, they are poking fun at the Rat Pack, if what, that's what you're going to get at. Oh, yeah. Actually, I was going for Humphrey Bogart in a bunch of his movies because I know he went... One of the movies, well, he was Rick in Casablanca, but I think there was another one where he was a gangster and his name was Rick, and I, it just reminded me of that. I'm not yeah, sure. maybe. Yeah. Maybe? yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm thinking of, I'm trying to think of very funny moments that I really, really enjoy in the movie. Like, um, like the whole, the whole thing, not so much the mind control, but just when he gets Mini Doris and how excited he is and how he's flying it around and he keeps bumping into her and he goes, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Yes. <laughs> I can't stop laughing at that. Yeah, that's a great scene. I swear, Goob has the best lines. I don't care, Bowler, Heck, guy, whatever. He's going to be Goob. Goob has the best lines, like, from start to finish in this movie. I think while Lewis and Wilbur and all of them have, like, really developed storylines, I really feel like Goob is the one that gets the most, like, character development. Throughout the story, yes. in a lot of ways, it's his movie. Yes. Yeah. And did anyone else find it kind of surprisingly shocking but cool when um, uh, Wilbur was talking to his future dad um, at the orphanage on the balcony, and they were talking about, um, or it, it was when he he was there to surprise Lewis, and all of a sudden he pulls out a badge and shows him really quick and says, "See, I'm the time cop." And he pulls up from him and says, this is a coupon for a tanning salon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's and just kind of a shock because you don't expect to hear that. You know, and, anything like that. And it's the doll from Tin Toy, right? Yep. Yeah. On the tanning salon card, it's, yeah. the, it, it's the doll from Tin Toy, which is a, one of the Pixar shorts for people who have no idea what I'm talking about. The, the whole dinner scene is just totally awesome, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, yeah. I, the whole, by, by the way, the, the Canada... North Montana thing, absolutely hysterical because it go it keeps going on during the conversation. 
<laughs> a North Montana man doesn't care about hat hair. <laughs> <laughs> I like it when they go, Uncle Joe's seen the toast. It's past the point of no return. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> fix it, fix it quickly. <laughs> yep. And the little meatball cannon. Like, that whole scene, I wanted to go on just a little bit longer. Not too much, because then it would have been a little bit, like, slap-happy. But just a little bit more would have been fine with me. Well, that's the thing. I, I, I honestly get the feeling that he must have spent more time with the family before, because there had to be more of the family. There's no way you make characters like that and don't have more of them. You might lose it on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Right. But it had to have been done, because it, it they were they were such... They were overdeveloped for the short period of time that they were in the movie, that there had to be more of them somewhere. Yes. Yeah, I agree. There's something. There's just something missing, right? Yes. You know? Um, but that's kind of how I feel about the whole movie. I feel like there's, like, every piece of it is either funny or touching or emotional or whatever, but the pieces don't fit together right for me. Hmm. They... They fit together enough for me to be like, oh, I really like this movie. It's one of my favorites. But I really think that it would be, like, solidly one of my favorites. Like, top, top, top one of my favorites. Um, if there was just a little bit more cohesion. Yeah. I mean, it's good enough. It's a good enough movie that you walk away going, you know what, that was a good movie. If there was just a little bit more cohesion. Yeah. I mean, it's good enough. It's a good enough movie that you walk away going, you know what, that was a good movie. But and you remember, like, bits and pieces. You remember the funny parts, the touching parts, the this, that. But sometimes you get a little fuzzy in between pieces because it's just like, did I really want to remember that? Mm, not so much. <laughs> yeah. You like to remember the parts that you really liked and the parts that you really liked you really, really liked. And the parts that you didn't like just kind of, in, at least for me, kind of, kind of go meh and kind of get fuzzy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and there's hints to the time circles going on constantly throughout the movie, right? Like when they're playing over the creation of the time machine, and he and Wilbur said, "Just one morning, Dad woke up in a pool of sweat and said, I have to invent the time machine.'" He didn't say, "I'm going to invent the time machine." He said, "I have to invent the time machine." It's as if he knew that he had to do it so that all of this could happen. Right. Oh yeah, that's right? a good point. <laughs> And the mention of the dark day in the Robinson household. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> hmm. yeah that's, the, that's the question that I kind of go back to is doesn't, doesn't as he gets older, know that he's going to see himself when he gets younger? It, it's so it's unclear because it's not developed. It's like there. And if you want, so it's, it's kind of sort of in a lot of ways, right? The time travel is a lot like back to the future. You don't, you can ignore all that con all those kind of concepts if you want to and still enjoy the movie. Okay. But they're there for you to string together at the same time if you want to. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, it, it's just, you know, fun things like that. I, I was reading something, um, during my research about how the, the bouncing grass mats, the way the order in which they bounce is set up to mimic the laminar fountains at Journey to Imagination. I read that too. But I don't know I don't if I necessarily believe it. Buy it. <laughs> I, I, I have problems with stuff like that too, but I thought it was an interesting tidbit that either that A, somebody thought enough to make that up, or, or B, that it's actually true. Either way, it's kind of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That is neat. When Cheryl and I were on one of our cruises, it was still a cruise on the Wonder, right, Cheryl? That is correct. Yeah. And uh, we met Andrea McKim, and they were, because there was a bunch of animators on the ship for some, I don't remember exactly why they were there other than it was the DVC cruise. It was the Legends, they were doing the Legends presentation at the time, I believe. Oh, Possibly. Okay. Possibly. Okay, I don't remember, to be sure. But she was there, and she was signing stuff, and so we met her. And, all right, so Meet the Robinsons, uh, that is our, our take. So let's see what everyone thinks. Uh, it's time for our favorite part of the show, ratings. Let's see, where shall we start this evening? Uh, let's go with Bree. Uh-oh. Um, you know what? I was really torn about this. And because, it, okay, so I watched it twice. Um, 
the first run through, I actually fell asleep for a half hour, not because of the film, because I'm sick. But so I, so I started it over and, and watched the whole thing, and I did really enjoy it. And actually, my favorite part about it is that I did not realize that Keep Moving Forward was a quote straight from Walt Disney. And when they had that montage at the end where it had the, all the quotes and then it highlighted Keep Moving Forward and Walt Disney, I burst out crying because I, I didn't realize it. And it meant so much more to the movie and in my head. And um, But anyway... So I'm going to give this film three and a half stars. Nicely done, madam. All right. Uh, let's go with Miss Cheryl Perlmutter. What would you think, Cheryl? I'm going higher than break. I'm Whoa. going four and a half. I really love this movie. I caught it, what was it, two weeks ago. Just before we thought we were going to do just before we bought it, when we were going to do the podcast, I caught a bit of it on, on one of the channels, or I forget what channel it was on. And I was so excited. I was like, oh, yes. And then it's so great to see it on. Also, also the first Blu-ray that we owned that we watched. Because we just got a Blu-ray player, so I've been like collecting Blu-rays like for the past year and a half, but this was the first one that I've actually had a Blu-ray player to watch in. Oh, cool. There you go. Yeah. All right. So, Todd, when you watched it on your new Blu-ray player, what'd you think? Yes. So I, I enjoy this movie, and this is definitely a movie I'll watch anytime it's on TV. But at the same time, I kind of sort of see the flaws in it too. You know, it's not that I don't enjoy it. So um, for me, it's a three point seven five. I, l- I love how he splits the decimals. I know. I rounded it off after my calculations. Is there a criteria? Do you have a grid? I wrote a computer program. <laughs> Patent pending. <I>, PM. <laughs> <laughs> yes. oh, all right. So myself, I will go with a three. Uh, I actually would, before I watched it again, I was gonna, I was think, I had in my head a two before I watched it because I, I just don't really like enjoy watching the movie. But when I watched it this time, I saw like there's some fun stuff to it, and you know, I saw that there's like a better movie there, you know, like I'd said to be made. But it's just, it's not my particular thing, but it's definitely there's definitely some great stuff in it. And last but not least, of course, we have our guest, Miss Shelley Karen. Your thoughts, madam. I give. I'm on Cheryl's wavelength. I, I give it a solid four. It is a movie that I will stop and watch no matter what. Um, it's a feel-good movie. Yes, it's not perfect, um, and there's a lot of disjointed parts. But when, for me, the thing is, when I walk away from this movie, I always feel good. So that's why I get a four in my book. Awesome. I really support that last statement by Shelley because I completely agree. It's I feel so good after watching this movie, no matter what flaws it has or anything like that. It's just very fun to watch for me. Cool. All right. So if you uh, if you disagree with us or you, you agree on our take on Meet the Robinsons, then you ne- you need to let us know because otherwise, how will we ever learn? Really, if we don't know. Go to Facebook, facebook.com, and check us out, Disney Film Project. Search for us and find out what, uh, where our page is. Like our page and comment and let us know what you think. Tweet us at Diz Film Project, or you can email us, right, Todd? You can at DizFilmProject at gmail.com. And then we will, we will answer those emails. We should get people to send us emails, and we could do an email show. Ooh. Yes, email us. Blow us away with email. Send us 12 emails a day. Yes, and we will answer. We will answer questions right here. We'll right answer here them better space. than Matt Hotchberg more often. Yes, that's right. That is our guarantee to you, our listeners. Your emails will get answered within a six-month time frame. That's our guarantee right here. Uh, in the meantime, you can keep up with us. Uh, you keep up with our fabulous guest, Michelle Karen. Go to go to onthegoatmco.com. Just just do it. Just go, go check it out and and read and find out what where she is going in MCO because she goes lots of places. 
I do. Yeah. Very fanciful. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Fun and fancy free. Um, and, and speaking of people who go lots of places when they're not sick, that would be Miss Bree over at Adventures of Bree, adventuresofbree.blogspot.com. Or then you can go over to DisneyDrivenLife.com and check out the, the blogging of myself and the, the, the new coat of paint that Mr. Perlmutter's put up there as the chief technical officer. It's not chipped yet. Yeah, not yet. You never know. <laughs> or you can go to TouringPlans.com, who is our fabulous sponsor for this episode, and we thank them very much for their sponsorship. And you can read the, the great tips from Mr. Todd and myself and, and all the wonderful touring plans, including their new computer-optimized touring plans, which look freaking awesome so and of course if you want to you want to hear the real behind the scenes story of what's going on here go over to about.me slash cheryl p3 or or follow cheryl on twitter at cheryl p3 and you'll see as she's editing the uh, the program you'll see her tweet out things like i can't believe these people are saying this and they're horrible people and why are they making me do this all this awful work um, and talking about digital cookies yes Woo-hoo! all hail digital cookies and, and I'll be the first to admit that, that when she says the awful people and the, why are they making me do all this work, she's right. She's, she's yeah. under control. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sorry, Cheryl. All right. Uh, yes, so that, so there's that. So uh, until next week, uh, enjoy the, the Blade Runner dystopian future of, uh, of Meet the Robinsons. You can stay up for days with no side effects. Ah! Sorry. <laughs> It's been a long, hard day full of emotional turmoil and dinosaur fights. Yes. Got a big head, little arms. I'm just not sure how well this was going to do. <laughs> I need someone on maracas. Don't we all, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is. That is a very valid point. When- and-